Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms currently in Nigeria and by Stuart Weir in the UK. On this week's show, we take a look at Africans who are playing in China, a country that's not particularly strong in football, but that's able to offer good deals to players. We speak to Gambian player Bubakar Trawali, who moved to China in January. Because football is money. If you want your football to develop, you have to have that cash. So now that they are pumping a lot in the game, their football is going up and up every single day. With the FIFA Under-17 World Cup beginning this weekend in Chile, we ask what can we expect from Africa's representatives. And we have the second part of our interview with Aaron Treadway, an American who played as a goalkeeper in three African countries. He tells us about his time in South Africa. So I made my way down to Hellenic in, I think it was 2000, 2001. And a fairly famous ex-Liverpool player was actually the manager, Bruce Grobelar. That's all coming up on the show, which is now 30 minutes long. Well, let's start with the 2018 FIFA World Cup qualifiers, where Malawi and the Gambia were the biggest casualties in the first round of qualifying for Africa. Malawi lost 2-1 to Tanzania on aggregate in a tough tie, and the Gambia lost 3-2 on aggregate to Namibia. Although they were ahead early on in the second leg, Namibia came back to win that game 2-1. We focused on Kenya on the show last week. They beat Mauritius 5-2 on aggregate. There was a surprise win for the Comoros, who eliminated Lesotho on away goals. Comoros are ranked 193 in the world, and 175th ranked Chad shocked Sierra Leone on away goals, with it ending 2-2 on aggregate. Well, the 13 first-round winners join the top 27 ranked teams in the second round, where there will be home and away games next month. Well, now let's focus on African players in China. As China has become an economic powerhouse, football has grown, and some big-name players have been attracted to play in China. The highest profile is Ivory Coast Didier Drogba, who moved from Chelsea to Shanghai Shenhua in 2012, getting a huge salary. Others to play in China include Nigeria striker Yakubu Aigbeni, Mali's Frederick Canute, who moved from Sevilla in Spain to Beijing Guan. Another Malian, Seydou Keita, moved from Barcelona to play in China. And Zambia captain Christopher Katongo played at Henan Construction. Africans currently playing in China include Ghana captain Asamoa Jan. He's at Shanghai SIPG, where he's said to be earning around $18 million a year. And Senegal's Demba Ba is at Shanghai Shenhua. Gambia star Bubakar Trawali moved to China in January. He was the Gambian League's top scorer with Real de Banjul, and he was signed by Hangzhou Greentown and is currently on loan to Nambia. Planet Sport Football Africa's Mamadou Ba spoke to Trawali when he was back home for the World Cup qualifier against Namibia and first asked if his was a big money move. I could say it was a big transfer, a decent one. So it was a good one. That's why China now, everybody's seeing that they are the one of the top three countries that are pumping a lot of money in football. So be part of the lucky Africans. And hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the first African player to come from Africa straight to China. Because all African players, they are um, signed from big 
European clubs and famous Africans. So being the first African to come from the continent straight to China was a very big achievement for me. Life in Gambia or in Africa is different uh, from what you experience in, in, the, in China. What's your day like in China compared to what you were used to? Well, it was not easy at the start. I was always in my room after training in my room because the, the level of the game here and China is not the same. You can train here for two hours. Still, you won't feel any discomfort or anything. But after training with a professional team for one hour, 30 minutes, which is normally our hours of training, you feel tired, man, because the training is always tense. The football is fast. The tempo is fast. And this being my first season, it was hard at the start to cope with the system. Catch up some coffee and have fun outside to take out the stress, because only cool head can play football. Tell us the level of the, um, you know, the game in China. The, um, in China, it's not pretty much recognized with the football than uh, compared to other European countries. And But in Asia, China is one of the best countries. Our champions there, Guangzhou Evergrande, win the Asian Cup so many times and they are always competing. Right now when I was coming, they were going for the quarterfinals or seven finals, if I'm not mistaken. That shows that in Asia, China is one of the best leagues. So the football there is, is good and right now, because football is money. If you want your football to develop, you have to have that cash. So now that they are pumping a lot in the game, their football is going up and up every single day. And players are coming there, good players, fantastic players, Brazilians. South Americans are so much in China. Let's talk about the language. Um, you struggle um, to, to get used to the, uh, the Chinese language, or is it that um, um, you have a um, couple of players who can speak um, English? Well, yeah, I struggled, even though there are some players who can speak English, yeah. but the majority are all Chinese, so I had to also raise my language level to the Chinese one. Yeah. Sometimes I ask the translator what, uh, what is this and what is this, like the important things that I would need in the game, like, yeah, the basics, tone, kick, pass, I could say all that in Chinese, so I learned that I take my phone, Whenever he tells me this is this, I write in my phone and translate in English, then I save it there. So when I go home, I check all the time, go over it, and that was how I mastered it. And now I can, I can say a lot in Chinese. I guess the language is not that difficult, even though to, to many people here it is difficult because they speak so fast. But yeah, it is not all that difficult if you really want to do it. And As the language is um, uh, different, I know the culture is also different from Africa here. They are far, far different from Africans. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy, man. Like when you go out at the streets, they look at you like sometimes you feel uncomfortable. But that's it. Like China, it's very big. There are some cities that hardly see black people. And the city that I was was far from the capital. It's like two hours flight from the capital. It's more closer to Russia. So most of the foreigners in that city are Russians and just some blacks in the university. So it was not easy. But... The food is pretty much different, man. So it was difficult at the start to eat their Chinese food. Always I only eat pasta, but luckily for me, China love rice, same like Africa. Every day you eat rice in China. Why did you choose China? You know, Gambia, I mean, it's, it's difficult for this traveling issue. We are not that pretty much strong like other African countries, Ghana and everything, when it comes to football. Because there are many of these Gambian players that go outside on trials and then dodge and don't come back. So it was not easy to have a, a European visa for trial. My agent, Patrick Mock, said he, he has a plan for me and 
he wants me to start in China and everything. Because it's, it's always good if you start from scratch and go up there. Is there a lot of money in China? Yeah, there is a big money in China, man. If you go to China, you won't want to go to any league. As you can see, Asam Wajian, everybody's against in his move to China. But he's like, this is his life. He chose football. And yeah, you don't just want to play football for the sake of playing football. You play football to have money, help your family, help your friends and relatives and help the poor ones. I would say China is a big, big, big country and they are pumping a lot of money in football. But it's Gambia. We don't say how much we're earning, so I wouldn't say how much I'm earning because no player has ever done that before. But I would say, yeah, everything is good. It's been a pleasure, and I don't know um, how to say thank you in the, um, in Chinese. Thank you. You just that. CNCN means thank you in Chinese. So you repeat that after me. CNCN means Kolechi, you say you're welcome. So. Well, Sian Sian indeed. That's a Gambia striker, Bubakar Trawali, speaking to Mamadou Ba about life in China. As he says, he hopes to move on and maybe end up in Europe, while we've seen many big-name players going from Europe to China in big deals. So, Solomon, what do you think about players moving to China? Back in the early 2000s, mid-2000s also, we saw players like uh, Kwame Ayu, the brother of Abide Pele Ayu, uh, from Ghana, moving there. He was one of the first big names. He moved from the Italian League uh, to the Chinese Super League. And the Chinese Super League has really been an attraction uh, lately, not just for African players, but also for European and South American players. We've seen coaches like uh, Scolari, ex-Brazilian uh, coach, and also Marcelo Lippi coaching uh, Nicolas Anelka, Playing there, so it has been a draw card for a lot of uh, players and for African players also. I think uh, a lot of them move to China because it offers them the opportunity, first and importantly, to earn more money. Uh, sometimes in Europe, it's really difficult for certain players to break through into that kind of a bracket where they can earn huge salary or huge wages. Uh, but the Chinese Super League offers that for them, and also there is also the you know China trying to create good opportunities and, and good relationships between uh, China and, and Africa because of the way uh, China is in need of minerals and, and natural resources that Africa do provide. And I feel this is another way for, for the Chinese to do that. And, and it's good to see the Chinese league growing in leaps and bounds this way. But but I don't really trust the, the, the Chinese league as much as I trust maybe uh, the Japanese league or the Australian league because the Chinese league, is a lot of it is just based on performance. If you sign a three-year contract as an African player, you go in there and the first year you don't perform well you know your contract gets terminated there's always a clause there where your contract is going to be terminated the chinese export everything except football talents you know they export uh, everything we can think of from gadgets to uh, materials to furnitures and everything but they don't export football talents because they don't have a lot of it and they have to make use of what they have instead they import football talent and and, and the chinese super league for a lot of african players is also a, a home of retirement you know, on just players that are on their way to retiring, like Didier Drogba, we've seen the Freddie Canute from Mali, we've seen Keita also from Mali, players that are hitting their mid-30s uh, and they want to go there and you know and get one last big check before they retire but I do hope that the Chinese Super League will really grow and be able to offer African players not just a financial incentive but also uh, the, the opportunity to be able to grow their football uh, because the league is getting better. So then some question marks about the standard of play. Uh, Stuart, can you put into perspective for us the level of Chinese football? That's uh, both at club and at national team level. 
Well, Steve, at international level, they're currently ranked 81st in the world. Now, given that 32 make the World Cup, it's not surprising, really, that China have only once made the World Cup. That was in 2002. And they lost all three games to Costa Rica, Brazil and Turkey without even scoring a goal. Now, they are, of course, based in Asia and North and South Korea, Japan and Australia, which have decided to join the Asian Federation, are the teams that would normally qualify. Now, if we look at China's recent results, they lost 1-0 to Qatar, they beat the Maldives 3-0, and they drew 0-0 with Hong Kong. So they really are a long way off the pace as far as world football is concerned. Interestingly, women's football, they would be ranked 15 in the world, have hosted the World Cup and have been as high as fifth. But the men's football has really never reached a reasonable international standard. Now, with regard to the standard of club football, it's really very difficult to say. They have been, uh, as uh, you heard in the interview, quite successful in some of the Asian club things. Interestingly, the amount of money that's being poured into club football in China at the moment, and it'll be interesting to see if we had this conversation again five or ten years into the future, uh, how successful that has been in raising the standard. You know, in one sense, bringing in foreign players is great for spectators, for the standard of the clubs. But, of course, in England, we have this constant argument that we have teams like Chelsea and Arsenal who at times almost don't put out an English player at all and that this has actually been to the detriment of the national game because the young 18-year-old who would have been in his club's first team five years ago now finds that there are six South Americans playing in his position. So I think it's a double-edged sword. And uh, perhaps, Steve, make a note in the diary and we'll have this conversation again in 10 years' time and, uh, you know, just see how Chinese football has moved on. (laughs) That would be very interesting to do. Um, Stuart, you were in China very recently in Beijing uh, in August for the World Athletics Championships. And uh, Bubakar Trawali talks there about the challenges of adapting to a new culture uh, moving from Africa to China. And it must be difficult for many players uh, when they leave home. Well, I think it's an absolutely massive change because, first of all, there is a language that you not only cannot speak, but you cannot even read a letter or a word of it. You, you cannot read signs because everything, of course, is in the, in the Chinese script. So, you know, you can be walking down the street, seeing a number of shops, and you've absolutely no idea what they are. I was in Beijing and I had the most incredible difficulty getting taxis because even if you have got written down where you want to go in Chinese or even if you've got a Chinese person with you, time and time again I had a taxi driver just say, I don't know where it is or I've never been there, I don't want to go. The bureaucracy in China just has to be seen to be believed. I've never seen anything quite like it. And officials are utterly uncompromising. And I found that no matter how strong the logic of your argument is, if a Chinese official says no, there's no way that he will back down. I mean, I'm going once to get a a SIM card for, for a telephone, and it took over an hour. And I was asking the Chinese person with me, why is it taking so long? What's wrong? 
And she just kept saying, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. No problem. And it just seems that that is life there, that getting anything done takes forever. So basically, I would say China is quite a challenging country to live in. And um, I think the players who are going there are going for the money to a large extent. But it's not an easy place to live in. So good luck to the players who are playing there, because I think there will be a lot of cultural challenges to be dealt with. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. So clearly it's a very different culture in China. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. The show is now 30 minutes long as we go deeper into African football. We have a brand new website. It's planetsportfootballafrica.com and it's been designed specifically for smartphones. You can listen to each week's current show there and find out more about us, myself, Solomon and Stuart and the rest of the team. The website planetsportfootballafrica.com. You can follow us on Twitter too. The address is at planetsportfa. That's a good way to keep in touch with news about the programme and African football news. The Twitter handle at Planet Sport FA. Well, still to come on the show, part two of our interview with Aaron Treadway, the American who played as a goalkeeper in three African countries. There's something very special about African football. I think there's, there's a certain flair about it and there's a certain passion. Well, to Facebook and to WhatsApp now. And last week we asked if Liverpool did the right thing to sack Brendan Rodgers and if new manager Jurgen Klopp is the right man to take over. Davy Chikondo in Malawi says it was quite a good decision but risky. But the manager would have brought more misery if he was to stay there for too long. From the Gambia, Ebrima Famujame says, I'm a Man United fan, but I think Liverpool needed a manager like Jurgen Klopp and Rogers' sacking was always on my mind. Samba Kande says changing managers is not the solution to the problem of Liverpool. They only need to strengthen their squad by signing world-class footballers outside England. Manasseh Kinte also says Liverpool need to get the right players. But Ebrima Barrow says it really was a good sacking. <laughs> Ebrima says Rogers put too much faith in inexperienced players. On other issues, some disappointed fans in the Gambia have been in touch after being knocked out by Namibia in the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Jame says Gambian football is going from bad to worse and the 2022 World Cup is a long time to wait. And Lamin Saidi and Alessana Drame also expressed their concerns about the Scorpions. This week we're asking you to tell us how you think Africa will do at the Under-17 World Cup. We're focusing on that next on the show. And you're always welcome to send comments on any football matters that you like. The WhatsApp number is plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. The Facebook page is Planet Sport Football Africa. So now to the FIFA Under-17 World Cup, which begins this weekend in Chile. It runs until the 8th of November, with 24 teams taking part, including four African teams. That's Nigeria, the defending champions. The Golden Eaglets are in Group A, along with the hosts Chile, with Croatia and the USA. Guinea play in Group B with Brazil, England and South Korea. Mali are in Group D with Belgium, Honduras and Ecuador. And South Africa play in Group E with Costa Rica, North Korea and Russia. 
Nigeria are the most successful team in the history of the Under-17 World Cup with four wins. Brazil have won it three times and Ghana are among those to have won it twice. So Solomon, you're in Nigeria this week. So tell us, are people excited there about the Under-17 World Cup? Steve, uh, people are really excited uh, here in Nigeria for the Under-17 World Cup. Uh, first, because uh, youth football in Nigeria is quite popular. You know, uh, people do follow it. You know, the games are showed live on TV. And uh, when I was a kid, I used to really follow it much more. I remember I was a little boy in 1985 when Nigeria won that. I have very vague memory. So people are really excited and really talking about it. And uh, also seeing uh, the chances of Nigeria defending the trophy. So there's there's an excitement in the air in Nigeria. Uh, you know, I'm in Lagos and, and, and you could you could actually feel it. And there are public viewing centers that people are going to be going to watch and that are going to be sponsored and all that kind of stuff. So it's really a great place for Nigerian football to, to go out there and, and really experience it. So it sounds like Lagos is the place to be to follow the Under-17 World Cup. So how do you rate Africa's chances this time? The last time Nigeria won uh, this cup was two years ago uh, in the United Arab Emirates. So they, they're going in there to defend it. And uh, out of that team, two years ago, we've seen Keleshi Ahianecho, who is currently on the books of uh, Manchester City. So it has really produced uh, great players. And, and I do hope that this team would also do that. Mali has traditionally been doing well in the age group category for the last 15, 20 years. Uh, it has produced a great, great players over the years. And we have Guinea, who is not so caught out for that, but we've seen them qualifying for that. One great... Uh, add-on though is the Republic of South Africa playing in for the first time and I always used to say if South Africa's football is going to progress then they need to make sure that the age group competition uh, makes some sort of a great representation like going to the World Cup and and playing in the African Championship and this is is great for African uh, football and also for South African football but Nigeria I expect them to to do well though they are in the same group in Group A with uh, host uh, country Chile. I do hope that an African team would represent Africa well and and go on and, and defend the trophy. Thanks, Solomon, and we wish the African teams all the best there. Uh, Now, Stuart, only two European countries have won the Under-17 World Cup in the 15 editions that have been held. That's France and Switzerland with one win each. So why do you think that is? Well, first of all, Steve, thank you for telling me that the Under-17 World Cup is taking place because it has had no publicity whatever in the UK. And frankly, I hadn't even noticed that it was happening. Looking at the squad that England is sending, the players are linked with the top clubs, but they're not players who are anywhere close to the first team in most cases. And I rather suspect that if we were to have this conversation five years down the line, it'd be interesting to see how many have actually made it into top flight football. I rather suspect it'd be quite a small number. And you know, I always feel when I hear Solomon talking that there's a lot more enthusiasm for this in Africa than there is in Europe. Some people may think I'm making excuses and perhaps a team with England's football tradition and population of 60 million ought to be able to do better. Perhaps we should, but that's how I see it.
Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. And what a contrast. The Under-17 World Cup is huge in Nigeria, but virtually invisible in the UK. So on Facebook and WhatsApp, uh, tell us how you think Africa will do at the Under-17 World Cup. Can Nigeria win it again? How will South Africa, Mali and Guinea get on? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. We're now to the second part of our interview with Aaron Treadway, an American who moved from the U.S. Major League Soccer and played as a goalkeeper in three African countries. That's Zimbabwe, Zambia and South Africa before moving to Asia. After a spell in Zimbabwe, he moved on to South Africa and Treadway told Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard about his time there. So I made my way down to Hellenic in, I think it was 2000, 2001. And a fairly famous ex-Liverpool player was actually the manager, Bruce Grobelar, Zimbabwean and South African, held dual citizenship. But uh, he had finished his career at Liverpool and he had made his way back and he was in South Africa. So he was actually the coach at Hellenic. So I spent almost three seasons in South Africa and those were some great years. Uh, funny enough, I didn't play a lot in those years because I was dealing with some different injuries but those were just wonderful, amazing years um, in my life. And, you know, looking back in my career, you know, even though I struggled with injury during those years, I would still say it was God's plan for me. And I was able to meet some amazing people and do some great things as well. And then, and then I had uh, some time in, in Asia before I came back to, uh, to Zambia. Kalusha Bwala was the new coach for the Zambia national team. And and I worked a little bit as an assistant coach with the Zambia national team, but also played a bit with, um, with Zanaco in Zambia in the Premier League. Well, Owen, you've mentioned that you've played in Africa and in Asia and in the United States. What do you think is particularly special about African football? You know, I also played in Brazil for a season. There's something very special about African football. I think there's, there's a certain flair about it and there's a certain passion uh, certainly that the world shares the passion for football, but there's, there's a real passion to see, you know, exciting football being played. Fans love to see players taking players on 1v1. They love to see great goals. But, you know, I just loved when I was playing in Africa how, you know, if a player would do a particularly good move or, or beat a player one-on-one, -on -one, that was almost as, as exciting as if the team would score a goal. You've mentioned as well that you got involved in coaching after your playing career finished. Why did you decide to make that move? I think for me, I have a love for people as much as I love the game. In fact, I love people a lot more than I love the game. I realized that football is a vehicle. It's a tool that we can use to really have a, a really positive impact and influence in other people's lives. Well, you put your experience in playing and coaching into actually founding a club over in the United States. You became the founder and the executive director of the Cleveland City Stars. We had been directing, a few of my friends and I, a semi-professional team 
which we all played on and we coached the team and we played on it. It was in essence the fourth division of the tiers of soccer in the United States. And the league came to us because we had so much success on the field and off the field as well. And they asked us if we would, uh, well, acquire and run a professional team in the third division. Um, Really our tagline, our vision was we wanted to serve the city that we played in um, that we could see a real positive impact in our community. So our, our tagline was serving the city, changing the world. And I think we we're probably one of the only professional uh, sports teams anywhere in the world that when players signed a contract with our team, they also had to agree contractually to serve in the disenfranchised and difficult areas of Cleveland, serve 20 hours a week downtown with young people every single week. So it was a real commitment for players to decide to want to sign with our club. And yet we believe that God blessed that. We had a real positive impact during our four years running the team. And we happened to win the national championship. So we ended up in the the first division, the the division right under the Major League of Soccer, um, which is quite a high standard of football. So it was a real uh, great time of, of life. That's Aaron Treadway, who moved from the U.S. Major League Soccer and played as a goalkeeper in Zambia, Zimbabwe and South Africa, talking to Adrian Barnard. And the final part of his story on next week's show. But that's it for this week. On WhatsApp, though, do tell us how you think Africa will do at the Under-17 World Cup. Can Nigeria win it again? What about South Africa, Mali and Guinea's chances? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams currently in Lagos, and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.